Coming up, we look back at two of my favorite conversations of the year. I I've, I always say this. It wasn't so much nervous stupidity. <laughs> I took my last name off and I explained that to mother and daddy at the, at the kitchen table because I did not want them to be hurt by anything that other people would say about me. There'll be like years of just waiting around the clubs where you don't get on at all. You're just there and you come back home at four in the morning or some crazy hour. And, uh, yeah, and no money. Uh, I thought I'd finished the booty. And uh, I went down to my my color hair, which is my real color hair, is dark brown. And they said, <laughs> I, and then I had to go back up, this was six months later, go back up to the red. Hey folks, welcome to the House of Kraus. I'm Richard Kraus. Come on in. I have a gift for you today I think you're really going to like. I look back. I look back at the year with wistfulness, with melancholy, a lot of joy too. But I look back and I thought, who would I like to talk to again? Who would I like to relive the few minutes that I get to spend with people? And I thought of two interviews right away, so I thought I'd share those with you. I may share a couple of more next week. These are two conversations that really stayed with me. We're in no hurry here at the House of Crows. We have time. We sit, we talk, we chat. It can go on for a long time. And I like to start right at the beginning. And I did that with two of my guests. A little bit later, Gilbert Gottfried will be here to talk about his life, his career. But with Anne Margaret, I started right at the beginning. She's a legendary figure. Everybody knows Bye Bye Birdie. Everybody knows her work as an all-round entertainer, a singer, a dancer, a romancer of Elvis Presley. But I wanted to know all about the early years. And that's where we started, and we just went from there. I was thoroughly charmed by Anne Margaret. I hope you are, too. I was born in Stockholm, but then we moved way up north um, to a little village called Volkshabin, which, when Mother and I left, uh, there were 162 people, I think. <laughs> and now, two years ago, there are 98 Wow. And yeah. have you gone back? Yeah, to a couple of years ago. Yeah. In the home that uh, that I lived in. Yes. Uh, it, it was bittersweet because uh, mother and daddy are not here anymore. Mm-hmm. They are in my heart and in my mind. But uh, it was really something. And my, my childhood friends... I'd say six or seven of them are still there, and but there's no jobs there, so uh, their children and grandchildren have left. Had they followed your career? Did were they aware? Did what do they have to say to you? You know, it's really interesting. Yes, they were aware of you know what happened, and they continue to be aware. Um, they're just like I never left. It's so wonderful. Um, you know, I hug them and, and kiss them, and it's just like, uh, you know, when we were six years old. Years ago, your friends nicknamed you Slugger. 
Yes. And who gave you the nickname, and why did they give it to you? Well, one of my friends gave it to me because um, I get knocked down so many times, and I have, you know, accidents in my life, and I keep getting up. So they call me Slugger, and one of my friends gave me this gold, for a pin, a, this gold pair of boxing gloves <laughs> <laughs> that I deserve. I earned it. <laughs> uh, but if you don't keep getting back up, you don't have a career that lasts decades and decades and decades. That's right. Yeah. And and right. did you have a have a, a a master plan or was it just that you just never gave up? Well, I learned from my parents, my mother and father, uh, never ever to give up. And do you think that that was uh, uh, an attitude that they developed living in this tiny little town up by the Arctic Circle, where I imagine it wasn't the easiest place to live, um, and well, perhaps they got it from that? Well, you know, you've heard of tough Swedes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, Daddy was born in a, a coastal city called Urshelsvik. And uh, that was entirely, you know, there's thousands of people there. But mother, uh, see, oh, let's see if I can get this. Okay, I was born in Stockholm. And then uh, we moved to Valshabin, but Daddy left when I was eight months old because uh, he wanted to go to America, and it was during World War II, and it just was too dangerous for uh, Mother and I to go then. So five years, we were in Valshabin, and Daddy was in Chicago. Uh, but then finally... When the war was over, we could go. And it, it's, we went to a little town, well, it was little then, called Fox Lake, Illinois, and uh, northwest, 45 minutes northwest of Chicago. And you, you ended up there. During those five years, um, I would imagine that he would write letters. Did you have oh, sure. phone and all that stuff? Were you in oh, sure. that way? Yeah. Oh, mother, mother always. He would send pictures all the time and letters. Oh, sure. Mm -hmm. And uh, then when we arrived on the Gripsholm, this huge ship, which is no longer, um, Daddy was there in New York City waving to us, and he just always looked so nice. He had this great hat on a fedora, and it was in December, and it was cold, and he just looked so handsome, so handsome. And, and of course, Mother pointed out, there's your daddy. Of course, in Swedish, we didn't know any, any English. Yeah. When did you start learning English? I mean, I guess as soon as Immediately. you hit the ground. Immediately. <laughs> you got that right since <laughs> I hit the ground running. Um, and I didn't want... Well, I'm sure everybody feels this way. You know, when you don't want to be called different. Mm -hmm. So, whoops, what was that? I don't know. 
let's see, something happened here. Oh, I have a new text message. Oh. <laughs> it's so weird because nobody knows my <laughs> but it's so weird. Uh, and, of course, Harley, one of our kitties, just opened the door. <laughs> you see, when when they start opening doors and things, that's when you have to... <laughs> you don't want the cats running the house. <laughs> I don't mind that. I don't mind it. I love, I love our animals. Oh, he's so smart. He's, oh, you know what? He, I'm his slave. Yeah. You know, when he wants something, I, I carry on and carry on, but he knows that he's going to get his way. <laughs> and now that he can open doors. Yeah, I know. What is the limit now? <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, dear. So when you arrive in, in the United States, you don't want to be thought of as an outsider, as someone yes. who's a, a, a different, a freak. So you start learning English right away. Was it a, a huge culture shock for you? Well, you know, we went to, to Fox Lake because my Auntie Mina, Auntie Erda, Uncle Charlie, Uncle Roy, Auntie Gunilla, Auntie, uh, uh, Uncle Arvid, <laughs> yeah, they had all preceded us. And so uh, Mother learned... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she learned, and I learned in uh, school. And of course, they all had uh, great Swedish accents. <laughs> I'm the only one that didn't have one. <laughs> and my cousins. Uh, well, I learned, and I remember taking dance classes, and I had no idea what the teacher was saying. I just looked at what she was doing. <laughs> <laughs> and and learned that way, and then eventually, when you you went to New Trier, is it Trier High School, New Trier High School? New Trier, yeah. yeah. There's a Trier in Germany, yeah. and when they came over, uh, they called it New Trier. New Trier, right? And you were a, a cheerleader there. Ah, uh, yes. And now, <laughs> between the dancing and and being a cheerleader, were you always someone who wanted to be in front of people? I was four years old. Yeah. And when, what was it about that? It just freed me. Yeah. Um, the hardest part when I do my live show, when I started was when I sat down and said, hello, everybody. Good evening. That was me. Right. But the numbers that I did, that was somebody else. And so you were, so there's a, a, a private Anne Margaret, and then there is the, the, the stage, the, the one that you present to the public. Right. And what's the difference between the two? Well, it depends on, you know, where it is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I can play the part of, you know, well, who could I say? Uh, You know, I've done some films where <laughs> I play really dangerous people. Yes. Uh, so that's not me. <laughs> I guess it's a part of me. Right. Um, I don't, it's so hard to explain. Right. But I know a lot of entertainers are that way. Uh, I, I don't know. I guess it's protection. Yeah. 
Because you're, you're not, if someone doesn't react well to what you've done, it's not you. It's your other persona. Would that be something like it? I guess so. Yeah, yeah. Uh. Well, you've you've said a, a couple of times, and maybe this this uh, uh, wraps around into that. When you say, and the, the quote is, "I was very flattered by the sex kitten thing, but I never thought of myself as that." Oh, never. Yeah. Never, never. And do you think that had you allowed yourself to think that way about yourself, that it might have changed things for you, or it might have uh, uh, given you a, a giant ego, or it might have done, you know, something destructive? Oh, I, I was raised, let's see, how I, um, when I came to this country, I really, you know, I didn't speak English, and I only spoke when spoken to. Um, I curtsied when I met someone, and I curtsied when I said thank you. As a matter of fact, I still, when I do, it's just so natural to me. When I say thank you, I curtsy. <laughs> ah, I, I wasn't that. aware of that until a friend of mine told me. Ah. Some things you can't let go of. Oh, boy, that's right. But, but growing up, it was never like, uh, it was always, oh, she's such a nice girl. She's such a polite girl. Right. No? It was never anything like the way she looks or whatever. It was always, what a nice girl. What a polite girl. And that stays with you. Yep. Yeah. Yep. And I always wanted to please my parents. Right. I never, ever wanted to make them sad, make them embarrassed. That's why when I left, um, well, we were living in Wilmette, Illinois at the time, and I went um, to work in uh, Los Angeles. Well, we thought it was Las Vegas, but uh, it was... Las Vegas, we went there, me and uh, piano, bass, and drums. Um, <laughs> we thought we had a, we thought we had a, a job there, right. and they said, oh, I'm so sorry. We like the, the, uh, the band that we have here, and we're keeping them. So we had driven <laughs> all the way, and then we drove to Los Angeles, and... Uh, Finally, you know, after running around and going to every place, we, we got a job there. But what was I saying? Well, <laughs> we were just talking about uh, the, the difference sort of between your public persona, your private oh. persona, and you had said that you wanted to please your parents. And oh, you were, golly, yeah. yes. Oh, that's what I want to say. When I was in Wilmette and I was about to go, I took my last name off and I explained that to Mother and Daddy. At the, at the kitchen table, because I did not want them to be hurt by anything that other people would say about me. Right. And, and Anne Margaret uh, uh, was obviously the name that you became known as, but still... It's, um, my, first, it's my first name. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't have a middle name, and my last name is Olson, yeah. O-L-S-S-O-N. Yeah. 
And how did they respond to that? They understood. Yeah. Was the, the idea of being in show business to them, was it risky for you? Did, did oh, they were so scared. But since I was four years old, I, I, I sang with Mother, and we did duets. We would sing at, like, wedding receptions. <laughs> <laughs> They'd always say, you know, Anna, you and Anna get. You get up there and, 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 and sing something for us. <laughs> yeah. And and you would always gladly do it. Oh sure. Yeah. Sure, my gosh. And then George Burns came along and changed your life. Didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> Can yeah. you imagine? I mean, something would have happened for certainly, but you know, uh, uh, it, had he not discovered you, things might have been a little different. Oh, my goodness, yes. Oh, we had, uh, all of us had been going around, you know, looking for jobs. And then all of a sudden, um, Mr. Burns saw me and my pianist of the group, the Subtle Tones, uh, Scott Smith, he happened to come with me. And um, he went with me, you know, to Las Vegas when I did work with Mr. Burns. Um, we went to this, it was, what was it, the Jet, I can't remember the name of that studio, has been changed so many times. Um, we could, they had to find a, a piano for me to audition, <laughs> and they found this old, old warehouse thing. And there was a piano. They took the tarp off of it, and it was all dusty. That's like something from a movie. <laughs> it truly is. And, you know, it did happen. Yeah. And, and, and then you went and performed with him for 10 days in, in Las Vegas initially. And you said those 10 days and 10 nights uh, changed everything. Oh, my gosh. Do, do you remember the feeling? Did you feel at that moment like something is like this is big? Things are going to well, be different now. I don't know because, you know, we had gone around and trying to get jobs for months. But, um, golly, what a long time ago. Yeah. I haven't talked about this forever. <laughs> uh, but Scott and I, you know, have always remained friends. We, at the time, were dating um, for like three years. Um, and he is uh, now in Des Moines, Iowa, and uh, he's, well, he's incredible. Yeah. So, anyway, um, I can't believe I'm still here. I know, well, you are, and... and I am, I'm, that I'm alive, after <laughs> all these things that have happened. Well, the fall <laughs> off the stage in Las Vegas. I didn't mean it. I, I didn't mean to fall. I know. I know. Who would do that to themselves? <laughs> no, it was in Lake, in Lake Tahoe. Oh, in Lake Tahoe. In Lake Tahoe. Lake Tahoe, yeah. And, and uh, I mean, but was it 22 feet? Am I remembering that correctly? Yes, sir. Wow. And, and I imagine in a situation like that, you're on stage, and then you wake up in a, hotel, in a hospital room. That must be what it was like. Do you have any memory of it at all? I remember 
we had done five performances already, and this was the sixth performance. Um, Not of the day. No, 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 no. In, 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 in a, like in, in five or six days. We did, we did two performances a night uh, at that time. There was a dinner performance in the midnight. And then that particular night, we did the dinner, and then we were just going into the midnight one. And I arrived via 22 feet up on a platform that they hadn't told us that if it, if it, leaned over more than six inches then it would flip and I'd be thrown so there was one man doing one of the ropes in front and then one man doing the other one and I guess one person just did it too I don't know it just wasn't the same and there was a bar in front of me um, I couldn't get out but it just flipped, and there I went. And is that's that, what they told me. That's what they tell you, and that must be when that slugger attitude comes in. Oh boy! It, right? <laughs> <laughs> I just knew. I woke up. I woke up, and I couldn't move because there's a put my teeth together. So they, they didn't show me a mirror. And I, I knew, oh boy, something must be really wrong. They won't show me a mirror. <laughs> uh, wow. Well, wow. I, and I heard a story where when you would go out for uh, with friends, that one of them would always have to have like a pair of pliers or something. Oh, yeah. Just in case something happened, right? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> how would you how would you like to go uh, with a friend of yours and you, you get a pair of pliers just in case? Just, just in case. You just in case. Just <laughs> in case, in case I have to spill my cookies. <laughs> <laughs> now, you have to be a really good friend. You certainly do. Now we've just got a few minutes left. I just uh, I wanted to ask you about Bye Bye Bird. Please, could you tell me? Could you please tell me what do you like to be called? Oh, Richard. Okay, Richard. Yeah. Uh, we we uh, uh, bye bye birdie, and the famous shot of you singing in the wind has been used uh, so often. It is iconic. It was used on an episode of Mad Men. It was shown there. Uh, it, it has been reenacted and, and and repurposed so many times. What are your memories of making that movie and of shooting that shot? Because I understand that that shot or that the, the those famous shots were done after the movie was over you're absolutely right you are absolutely right uh i thought i'd finished the movie and uh i went down to my my color hair which is my real color hair is dark brown and they said <laughs> I, and then I had to go back up, this was six months later, go back up to the red. And um, there, there were no railings, six feet up in the air, and, <laughs> and wind machines everywhere. And it was pitch black everywhere else. Um, it was kind of exciting, actually. <laughs> 
and and at the time, did you think, oh, this is going to look great, or uh, you know, this is really going to make the movie because it is the thing that everyone remembers now? I, you know, I had complete faith in my director, Mr. Sidney. Yeah. Mr. George Sidney. It was his idea, and the uh, studio did not want to do it. They didn't want to pay for it, and. He paid for it himself, and when they saw the actual movie, they gave him back his money. <laughs> <laughs> but he had such faith in me. He had so much. He had faith in me, much more faith in me than I did. Right. Which you... is what my my husband has much more faith in me than I do. Well, and, and I would perhaps suggest that maybe George Burns did as well at the time. Yes. Yeah. Well, you're lucky to be surrounded by people like that. Oh, hey, Bridget, I am so blessed. Mm. So blessed to have, to have been, you know, Roger and I um, have been married for 49 years. Wow. And we were together three years before that. So that's what for 50, 51. So we've what 52 years now. Um, and our family, these incredible friends that you know I've had for over 50, over 60 years. I'm just totally blessed. Are you still riding your motorcycle? Well. <laughs> <laughs> Roger gets extremely nervous <laughs> when I start with that. Um, it's in the garage. It's beautiful. It's lavender, Harley, and it's got daisies uh, all over it. And it's got Harley Davidson written in script in white going all over these flowers. I'll do it. I, and I would imagine that's where the, the name came from, your cat, for your cat. You got it. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah we got him um, in Branson when I was working with Andy Williams, bless his soul. Um, yeah. And one last question, and then I'll let you go because I don't be sure. out of time. But why don't you watch your own movies? Why do I want? Why, why do you not watch your own movies? Oh, I don't know who that person is. Yeah. I don't know who that is, and I just, I get really uncomfortable. I, I, I see him once, right, but what, I get really uncomfortable, and I'm my own worst critic, and I just, I did it, and I did it to the best of my ability, and that's it. And then you walk away. I don't, I don't, I don't, you know, enjoy. <laughs> I'm not thrilled with what, you know, I don't know how people can do it. <laughs> well, I've seen Going in Style. It's a oh, lot of fun. It's, it, 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 it looked like you and Alan Arkin had a hoot making it. Yeah, and you can tell when there's chemistry between the Oh, actors. Richard, I, it was so much fun. And it reminded me so much of Grumpy Old Men. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and the three of them, I call them the boys. <laughs> uh, I loved sitting and watching them, yeah. um, both on and off. 
uh, and it's so important to see them having a good time, you know, uh, people of a certain age, you don't stop having a good time. Right. You don't stop enjoying one another's company. Uh, there's much more to life, you know. You got to keep going. Hey, slugger. <laughs> keep going. Well, thank you very much for uh, taking the time to speak to me today. I, I really appreciate it. It's been a treat. You are so charming. <laughs> thank you so very much. That was Anne Margaret talking about her life and her legacy. Now we turn to Gilbert Gottfried. I think Gilbert Gottfried is hilarious. He has one of those voices that just sticks in your head like a like a rasp, like a grating rasp. But as you find out, the longer you talk to him, that's just kind of part of his shtick. I don't know if he wants me to say that or not, but that's just part of his deal. The way that he's made himself memorable as a stand-up comic. Uh, I got a chance to have a little glimpse into the life of Gilbert Gottfried. And, you know, it's funny, after we did this interview, turns out we have a friend in common. And so he asked me to send an email to our friend. Don't mention that I had spent any time with Gilbert. Don't mention his name. Just email this person and say, my deepest condolences on the loss of Julia Sweeney. That's it. It's one line. Now, the funny thing is, is that Julia Sweeney is very much alive and well and with us. Uh, it's just a joke that has been going on with them for years. So I do it. Bang off the email. Don't really even expect a response. I get one. A day or so later, I get an email that says, Hey, I see you've been hanging around with Gilbert. I like that story because it just shows that he's just full of fun on stage and off. Here's my conversation with Gilbert Gottfried. You've been doing stand-up since you were 15 years old. Yes. And what pushed you towards that? I mean, we see this in the film, but tell people why you wanted, at 15, because I can't imagine, I'm a public person, I speak in front of people, I do that sort of thing. I can't imagine doing what you do, though, getting up on stage, and if it's not going well, my instinct would be to run. My instinct would be to get out of there oh, as fast yeah. as possible. At 15... I'm not sure that I would have had the nerve to do it. What got you up there at 15? See, I, I've, I always say this. It wasn't so much nerve as stupidity. <laughs> it, it's like, first of all, having that idea that, oh, I could have a career in show business. That's crazy. Because <laughs> uh, it, it, it's like people say, you know, if your kids want to go into show business, what are you going to do? And it's like, I I think like... I could understand if they said, I want to reach into the trash can and take out soda cans <laughs> and turn them in for five cents each. Right. That at least makes some sense. Yeah. Show business doesn't. It, and it's like, but I was too stupid then to know the odds against making it. And, um, and I was too stupid to, you know, know that... If they're booing you and hissing, maybe it's time to get out. So I just kept doing it. And it's difficult for people that don't know. 
I don't think people realize that comics frequently aren't paid that they're seeing. Oh, yeah. Uh, that they, there's a thing called bringer shows where you have to bring 10 people that oh, are all yeah. going to order two drinks and, you know, that sort of thing. And then maybe you'll get a spot at midnight at the end of the show. Yeah. Of, there's all that sort of thing. Um, did you ever give out flyers on the street? Did you ever have to do uh, that sort of thing? No, that thing seemed like it came later on, right. the flyers on the street. I see that all the time in Times Square and the yeah. village and everything. Uh, but, yeah, no, I just remember, like, you uh, – we used to, like, wait on line outside of the improv to be the first to, you know, get an audition spot. Yeah. And uh, so we did that. And, uh, yeah, and then you'll there'll be, like, years of just waiting around the clubs where you don't get on at all. You're right. just there, and you come back home at 4 in the morning <laughs> or some crazy hour. And, uh, yeah, and no money. Did you feel you were learning stuff, standing at the back of the club watching everybody? Um, I guess so. I mean, I, I mean, you learn more, obviously, when you're actually on there. Yeah. Uh I guess you learn what not to do by watching other oh, people. Oh, yes, yeah. yes. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, yeah, I, I, I just remember that, like all those. Uh, and what what scares me uh, when I think about it, you know, I'm like one of those people who's always going, oh, my career's nowhere, it's a mess, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. And then I always think of all those years at the clubs where there would be, it seemed like billions of people that I saw every single night, right. also hanging out all night, also trying to get on, and and I have no idea where they are. I don't remember their names. Do you think that you were just funnier than they were, or were you more patient, or what was it? God knows. <laughs> uh, it's it's really. I, I I guess you could always attribute stuff to dumb luck. <laughs> yeah. to, you know, you could never underestimate that. I, I guess so, but you you have to put yourself out there though in order to get the dumb luck. It oh, just doesn't yes. arrive. Yes. It doesn't fall into your lap. Yeah. And so you're 15, 16, 17 years old. You're standing in lineups to do this. What was it when you realized, or when was it that you realized that it was working? Was there, you know, a stretch where audiences received you more warmly where, where you realized, wow, this is something like I, I didn't waste my time standing in line. Well, I would, it, it was funny. Like, uh, I think Steve Martin said in some, in his book, like, uh, it's easy to be great. It's hard to be good. And, <laughs> and, and it's like, it's a matter of just being consistent is the first thing you have to accomplish. Right. Because you could have those nights you go on and they're laughing and applauding at, at everything you say. You know, you could wink your eye and they're <laughs> laughing and applauding. And then you, you think, I am great. And then the next night you go on and uh, they're booing you <laughs> with the same stuff. And so that's the first thing, to be consistent. And uh, I remember I would like, I mainly, when I started out, it was mainly impressions that right. I did. So I was, you know, no, not that much different in style and like, you know, Rich Little or Frank Gorshin or those people, you know, if 
if it was uh, Peter Laurie as your waiter, it might go something like this. And, uh, and then, I don't know, I started getting tired of just doing impressions, and I started you know, screwing around in between. And then I started screwing. And, and that's the way I found I was the most creative when I was on stage just screwing off just anything that popped into my head. Man, what a big, meaty House of Krause it's been this week. Two showbiz legends, Anne Margaret and Gilbert Godfrey. We talked, you listened, now it's over. House of Krause is closed for this week. Thanks so much. Have a Merry Christmas. Have a Merry whatever it is that you celebrate. Enjoy. Have a safe and happy holiday season. We'll talk to you next week. Remember, we put up a new show every single Monday. Make sure that you stop by for a visit. You never know who's going to be here. And who knows, it might just be one of your favorite people. And you do not want to miss that. <laughs>